0: takou shkan shkan no om pikel na iyo makaka ler akant khan ka takou e chaki ya ke hon ona ho ki chila mani pikte makaka de ho ki da moshi kitan
2: Kako e komo mai. Heartfelt greetings and welcome. I shake your hand with good feelings in my heart, and the whole world is a beautiful day. You're listening to First Voices Radio, coming to you this week from Hawai'i ne, or the illegally occupied Hawaiian kingdom, as we Kanaka'oibe call it, but known to most people as Hawaii. I'm Anne Kelly, sitting in for your host, and Ghost Horse. And on his behalf, I thank you for your generosity, as always, and for being here. Because without you, this show cannot go on. This is all Native-hosted, all Native-produced, First Voices Radio, now in its 28th year of broadcasting. Our First Voices Radio producer is the magnificent Liz Hill. I want to welcome the nearly 100 community public and commercial radio stations that carry First Voices Radio. And thank all of you who monitor this program online and around our mother, the earth. Now, as Teokasen would say, let's count Ku. Our guest for the entire hour is singer, songwriter, all-around Indigenous artist, educator, and advocate. Buffy St. Marie, with a few cardinal birds and roosters chiming in in the background. It would take half the length of this show, at least, to list her contributions and awards, so I'll just mention a few. In addition to more than a dozen honorary doctorates in music, the humanities, letters, and law, Buffy St. Marie was inducted into the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame and is the first Indigenous person to receive an Academy Award. But for First Nations peoples, she holds a special place in our hearts, not only because of her accomplishments, but because of who she is and what she's endured. Her career spans more than 50 years, and although her peers include Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, Joni Mitchell, and many other big names from the 60s, Buffy was singled out and blacklisted during the administrations of presidents Johnson and Nixon, and as you can imagine, that severely impacted her career in the United States. Yet despite that, she has recorded 21 albums so far and continued on as a performer. And she still stands strong for Indigenous peoples, for all peoples, for justice, Mother Earth, and for animals. Her songs are about love, war, poverty, being Indigenous, and living as your true authentic self. And she's never stopped doing all of that with the urgency and power of a poet who has the courage and will of a warrior. Her songs have been recorded by Barbara Streisand, Celine Dion, Cher, and too many people to name here. So before we get to the interview, I'm gonna play a medley of what a few others have done with some of her songs. We're gonna do a song by Buffy St. Marie.
0: Indian legislation's on the desk of the Durac congressman. He don't know much about the issues, so he picks up the phone ask the advice of the senator out in indian country a darling of the energy companies ripping off what's left of the reservation i learned the safety rule i don't know who to thank don't stand between the reservation and the corporate bank listen in federal tanks it isn't nice but it's reality Hard and-
3: You're not a dream,
0: you're not an angel, you're a woman.
3: I am not a king, I'm a man, take my hand. We'll make a space in the life that we plan. And he will stay until it's time for you to go he's five foot two and he's six feet four he fights with missiles and with spears
1: he's all of 31 and he's only 17 he's been a soldier for a thousand years he's a catholic a hindu an atheist a Jane, a Buddhist and a Baptist and a Jew. And he knows he shouldn't kill, and he knows he always will kill you for me, my friend, and me for you. And he's fighting for Canada, he's fighting for France, he's fighting for the will put an end to war this way And he's fighting for democracy He's fighting for the Reds He says it's for the peace of all He's the one who must decide who's to live and who's to die And he never sees the writing on the wall But without him how would Hitler have condemned him at Dachau? Without him Caesar would have stood alone He's the one who gives his body as a weapon of the war And without him all this killing can't go on He's the universal soldier and he really is Is not the way
2: we put an end to war. Buffy St. Marie, aloha and welcome to First Voices Radio. Good morning. Aloha. Before we get started, I want to mention to uh, listeners that June 6th, Canada celebrated you as part of that country's National Indigenous History Month. You've been decorated, celebrated, awarded many times over for your contributions, not only in entertainment, but I would say equally for your work as an activist and educator. So, Buffy, it's my honor to spend some time with you talking about your life and works.
4: Thanks. Thanks, Kayla. Thank you. I didn't know that. I didn't. I don't think they were celebrating me, by the way. (laughs) No, everybody was celebrating. Um, We were saying that June is, um, uh, in Canada, is National Indigenous History Month. But I've been participating in a lot of... um, uh, things that would support
2: that but no it's, it's not about me <laughs> well I, think, just I think the article that I saw is I think they're kind of choosing somebody each day oh
4: is that right I'll have to look well that's thanks. what it looks like thanks. they're
2: doing uh-huh. am but I a monument <laughs> I, I didn't say anything about any monuments or anything but they, <laughs> they did they did have a lovely photo of you in the article ah, there you go <laughs> You've been a part of a lot of benefits recently, particularly with regard to the coronavirus pandemic and raising money for food banks in Canada and a few other things. But right now, we're all in the throes of this of grief and mourning and just uh, righteous protest in the wake of George Floyd's killing in Minneapolis by uh, police officers. So I want to know what your thoughts are and feelings are about what's happening, not just in the U.S., but all over the world right now.
4: Well, of course, my first feeling like you is just, you know, just amazement and collective grief. And, and yet, as, as, an indig- as both an Indigenous person and a musician who's, got to, who's gotten to, you know, just kind of see the world, uh, like many other people who've traveled a lot and who've traveled across their own cultural um, uh, so-called borders, you know, people who've traveled beyond the community they grew up in, people who've traveled a lot. You know, we've seen this coming for so long. And even before the virus, um, I had lost two loved ones, um, one who died at age 50 because of not the virus, but just diseases that have been around for so long among, you know, just poverty diseases died of diabetes and malnutrition and, you know, just all of the things that have been in the world of Indigenous people for centuries. You know, many, many, many groups of Indigenous people have never really recovered from, you know, the last 500 years. So for me, there's a sense of this is a, a time that when Indigenous people ourselves are isolating and, you know, we have some a lot of us have time on our hands for once instead of being just pursued by or pursuing the, the almighty dollar and the calendar and the clock that go with them. You know, we have time.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And a lot of my time, anyway, I spend... I, I'm, I'm a biblioholic. I enjoy education. I love learning. I feel like somebody's giving out free dollar bills whenever <laughs> I learn something. And, you know, I'm a big fan of history and just learning about... Indigenous people. And sometimes when you hear the word history, we think of, oh, history, the, the, the history of Indians, all, it's all about the white man's wars. But you know, there's an awful lot more to learn that was going on before, <laughs> beside, uh, and after what we think of as the white man's wars. And poverty and malnutrition have been with us for a very long time. So the coronavirus. In a way, it makes every, you know, it's as though somebody's kicked over the whole entire anthill. (laughs) Mm. And there's almost no time to figure out who did what when there's such an emergency. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's, It's like we have this incredible buildup of things from all over the planet. You know, things that have been wrong for a long time. So alongside just the emergency of trying to save lives, I'm thinking about the long-time ongoing emergency of marginalization, of poverty, of colonialism, how it's left our people even more unprepared than the average person sitting on their couch in an apartment, you know? These Mm -hmm. are people who, they could be growing their own food, except the land was taken away or polluted or condemned or otherwise stolen.
1: remember the times that you have held your head high and told all your friends of your Indian claim proud good lady and proud good man your great great grandfather from Indian blood sprang and you feel in your heart for these ones oh it's written books and in songs that we've been mistreated and wrong about Uncle Sam. But it's still going on here today. The government now wants the irrigable land, that of the Seneca and the Cheyenne.
4: You know we have our own ways of health of uh mental health supports that you know most of us don't even talk about them we don't even talk about the alternatives that exist or and that existed yeah the traditions um, really exactly and some and, and when we think about traditions A non-Indigenous person hearing us for the first time might think traditions, oh, that means they wear feather bonnets and, you know, their (laughs) style of music and dance. They think of that as tradition, which is fine. But our traditions of science and health and medicine, I mean, most people are unaware that um, Indigenous people on this side of the water invented things like the rubber bulb syringe, (laughs) cranial surgery, mathematics, uh, which has only recently been um, caught up to by computers, um, scientific inventions, medicines, as- you were t- you know, you achievements were talking- in science and in astronomy. Sports.
2: You were talking about this in the clip I saw about um- Uh, the National Indigenous History Month, they had a clip of you talking about sports.
4: I did. Yeah, that was that was when, you know, I'm kind of strategic sometimes because (laughs) because I've been doing this for so long, I get a lot of rabbits to pull out of my hats. Some of those rabbits, (laughs) some of those rabbits came about, you know, in my childhood or in the 60s or something. Mm -hmm. And those rabbits are still in there. And one of of the rabbits is just taking a good look at something uh, without bias and trying to enjoy learning for national indigenous history month i was trying to fire people up about you know whether you're indigenous or not did you know that team sports were invented on this side of the water uh that team sports were invented in the americas and were played throughout the americas uh, long before 1492 and that even in the olympics the greeks had not nobody had invented team sports Uh, They were all individual sports, which is also wonderful. But I think it's interesting when you have kids trying to comply with everybody's suggestion. Oh, be proud you're an Indian, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. how many times have you heard that? Mm -hmm. And how many times has there been nothing attached to it of which we're supposed to be proud? I mean, nobody tells kids about our achievements in, in anything, in science, in agriculture, and even in sports. But just think. Every now and then you have the, the major league baseball, you've got hockey season, you've, you've got uh, football season and basketball season. And how about we let little indigenous kids know that, did you know that we invented the rubber ball? Did you know that we invented rubber? Charles Goodyear did not. No, he did not, no, no, <laughs> Vulcanized rubber was, he, he, he rediscovered it and patented it, that's all he did. Um, did you know that we invented the football stadium? with bleachers on either side and goalposts at either end, that we invented things like um, protective equipment for the ball games. They were all based on the original Mayan ball games. You know, goals and protective equipment, knee pads, shoulder pads, hip pads, helmets with animal logos on them. I mean, that's the NFL. And nobody tells little Indian kids that, you know. First Nations kids are just told be proud you're an Indian and, and be proud of what? That you are poor, that um, even though there are a lot of uh, wonderful um, indigenous musicians, we don't really have a music industry. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of people in the white music industry, the black music industry, the Latino industry, we don't have that yet.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
4: So I guess what I'm trying to do with this time is encourage people to, <laughs> to find a way to enjoy learning because it's not all that dull crap they tried to force down our throats in school. No, there's a whole lot more
2: to it. I think in their narrative of the native in general, their narrative is the warrior native. And they're, they, I think they think that natives are supposed to be proud of that. And at the same time, they co-opt, like everything you just said right now about sports As you're talking about the logos and the animals. It's been on my mind a lot recently, especially, I'm glad that people are saying Black Lives Matter and supporting, obviously, I mean, that you shouldn't even have to say that. And I'm really glad that people are standing in solidarity. I just wish in the sports industry that they would stop with the mascots, the Native mascots. Well, good luck with that, you know? Maybe if they recognize that this was actually, you know, acknowledged that this came from Native, Native peoples created the way that people enjoy athletics now. I don't know. I'm hoping this is a moment in history where we can find other places to be in solidarity with each other uh, because i hope
4: of- so too Kayla. i hope so too i mean there's a there's a lot of solidarity uh between uh, i have a lot of um people who are involved with i don't know more in canada uh who uh who showed up at you know the telescope protests
0: mm-hmm.
4: um the people who visit hawaii as educators or you know in some capacity who um Feel a solidarity with other marginalized people in the world who've been taken over by colonialism. And, um, you know, I I agree with your take on Black Lives Matter. Black Lives have always mattered. I was there in the 60s and I, I was friends with people like Muhammad Ali and Stokely Carmichael and Dick Gregory and other uh activists but i was never part of what was called the civil rights movement although there were a lot of white acts who would show up for the photo ops of the civil rights movement mm-hmm. and who you know gave some dollars but i never saw i never nobody ever showed up in indian country black mm-hmm. people did black mm-hmm. people did uh, Dick gregory came to my reserve and you know we were he he joined right in with uh, activism that we had going on in saskatchewan and he was appalled on the, on the airplane the way back. Dick Gregory, the, the comedian, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was um, brilliant. Um, he was crying in the airplane. You know, he thought that he had seen marginalization and poverty and uh, racism, but he had, it had never occurred to him as smart and wonderful and multifaceted uh, as he was at the time. He, it had never occurred to him what happens to Native American people. And I would just like to say something right now, because I've been involved with a lot of foundations. I mean, I'm I'm Buffy St. Marie. I've been doing this for over 50 years. I've sat in philanthropy meetings alongside the Rockefellers and the Fords and the wealthiest people in the world. And I've even gone to um, meetings of Black philanthropists as well. And there's more to it than just race. Money is a big, big deal. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. a lot of people, whatever their background, whether they're native or black or white or whoever, whatever whatever they are, they have grown up in a pecking order where the guy who gets to grab the most gets to be the king. (laughs) Who's that sound like? (laughs) Oh, you know, the whole pecking order mentality of Europe is what I object to. Mm -hmm. That entire pecking order, and that's really what colonialism doesn't want to give up. I mean, it's so much more than race. I mean, I see, I see, I see the pecking order mentality on reserves. I mm-hmm. see it in the Indian community. I see it in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, some somebody just wants to be one step high mucky muckier than the next right. guy. It's all so stupid. It's so all stupid. There is no pecking order except in. It's it's kind of a social mental illness, I think. Well, it's capitalism, and right? It, I mean, it, colonization. It is. And I'm I'm sad to say that I have walked in as a native person. I wasn't dressed in feathers and fringe. I just in a business suit like everybody else. I've walked into uh, philanthropy meetings um, where I felt a little uncomfortable, but also black ones. So it's not just white people who are who suffer from the pecking order. Um, the pecking order thing <laughs> that leaks into racism because i don't think that anybody in a in a black um, meeting uh, ha- has anything against natives mm. but when i walk in i feel othered
2: mm. and that's
4: not just me no uh, you know this is something that i think the world doesn't know about um many you know, I'm in a privileged position for many years. Be, you know, because I got rich and famous real young. There really weren't very many doors closed to me, but when I got in the door, I sure learned what it was like to be. I, I can't say mistreated because these nice people, whether they're white or black, whatever they are, they were on their best behavior. But they were children. They were children. You know, they were sponges of the pecking order who had soaked up the idea of, you know, is this person. Higher than me or lower than me? Uh, is, is this competition or is this collaboration? You know, it's, it's, it's business. And North America and the world in general, you know, for the moment, business majors run the world. And I don't know what we're going to do about that, except look after each other, because chances are the business majors are not going to be looking after you. They're busy <laughs> competing with each other.
2: subject of so much of your work has been about this issue of greed, colonization, money, carving up mother nature. And yeah. and and so you've actually been addressing this for a long time. Yes, in- I
4: have. And so have a lot of other indigenous people. Our resistance is not new. It never has stopped. It's only like every 30 years that somebody gets their name in the paper because there's big business competition for that newspaper space too. So, you know, it's, A lot of, I think a lot of my Indigenous friends uh, at one time or other in their lives have been shocked to come to the realization that, you know what, we are like around, what are the, I'm not sure what the uh, census figures are, because they're going to be new pretty soon. But if I'm not mistaken, uh, last time I checked was a few years ago, it's like roughly 20% of the population was identified as African American. And, you know, there are statistics, but Oh, we're like, we hover around one percent of the population. Right. One or two percent. So none of these, yeah. So none of these, none of these people in, um, in foundations, you know, wealthy, wealthy foundations. None of them have ever been around us. They may be black. They may be Latino. They might be Asian. They might be white. They haven't been around us. And we're the tiniest minority. And we've, we've been misportrayed in, in entertainment and in literature and in politics. That's why even when I was a young singer in the 60s in Greenwich Village, you know, I was in my early 20s, but I was trained as a teacher. And I wasn't here to rub people's noses in, you know, how the white man screwed the Indian. That's not what I was doing. But I felt sorry for average people. Because they'd never had a chance to learn about us in, in in the right way. They'd never learned about the good red road. They never learned about our heroes, about our achievements, our accomplishments, our advancements, our contributions. So that's a big plus for me that I like to share with other Indigenous people or other marginalized people or if you're a girl and you're going to walk into a a locker room full of boys, you know? Mm -hmm. Remember who you are and don't hold
2: it against people that they don't know who you are. Your first album, It's My Way. I mean, you came out with this anthem. That is so relevant now, especially for Natives, especially for women.
1: I'm cutting miles my own day and all I dare say is it's my own I got my own seeds got my own weeds I got my own harvest that I've sown. I can tell you things I've done and I could sing you Songs I've sung, but there's one thing I can't give, for I and I, I alone can live the years I've known and the life I've grown got away I'm going and it's my way I look at my own stakes in my own game. I got my own name and it's my way. I got my own kin, I got my own kin, I got my own sin and it's my way. I got my own peace. I got my own.
4: <laughs> sometimes the title of that song gets confused with the old and sinatra thing about damn it i did it my way right but you predated
2: so that your like, song
4: your song yeah. came first yeah 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 but my song is not about it's my way my song is about it's my way with the emphasis on way and what what that means is that it's my path my um my dharma you know it's my it's my yoke you know, like a like an ox has a yoke. this is this is what I'm taking on myself. this is my path. This is my not so much my destiny or my fate, but um, uh, this is the path that I can see. you know, and as a little girl, <laughs> I grew up in the woods, <laughs> and um, I was I just knew paths that you know just me and the animals knew. <laughs> ah. I would yeah, and so the, just the, the idea of, of uh, cutting your own way, being the first. Just because you just want to know what's ahead, if you do um, make that road, not take it, but make it, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, um, I guess it's,
2: it, I don't know. It's just a very positive streak in me. Your message is consistent and it has been throughout your career consistent and full. It's as if you sprang forth fully developed. But is that true? How can that be? I ask myself. At what point in your life, did you come to understand yourself to be this artist? And you mentioned the word playing. So yeah. is that what it is to you with music yep. and with painting? It's about playing? Yeah.
4: Yeah. It's it. You get it. It's it. <laughs> it's all there is. And I've always felt like I'm getting away with a whole lot because... <laughs> <laughs>
3: About two times a week kiss her on the mouth sweet as any wine wrap herself around me like sweet potato vine I'm going up Cripple Creek going in a run going up Cripple Creek to have a little fun going up Cripple Creek going in the world going up Cripple Creek see my girl Jump on a boy like a dog on a bone, roll my bitches up to my knees, wait, oh, Cripple Creek, you never right, please, I'm going up Cripple Creek, going in the run, going up Cripple Creek to have a little fun, going up Cripple Creek, going in the world, going up Cripple Creek, see my girl. And the roads are muddy and I'm so drunk that I can't stand study I'm going up Cripple Creek, going in a run Going up Cripple Creek to have a little fun Going up Cripple Creek, going in a whirl got up Cripple Creek to see my girl
4: ever a professional singer or songwriter um I was a teacher I I went to teacher college my major in college was oriental philosophy because I've always been so crazy about uh, hearing people's reports of their own interactions with the creator and and for me uh you know I majored in oriental philosophy but I had grown up outside of churches Um, although I lived with a Catholic family for a while and I liked that. Uh, I never had people, um, bullying me into churches and religion. Consequently, I've always been quite, um, open. You know, I'm, 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 I'm I'm highly educated on the bad they've done, but, um, I, I, uh, I, I don't feel as though I'm prejudiced against organized religion. (laughs) They're just business. It's what they are. And my attitude to business—I might have a terrible attitude to a business—but my my feeling is that anything that people love, you know, it's going to be like honey, and you're going to you're going to attract you're going to attract thieves, um, sports, oh, so many thieves in sports, mm-hmm. entertainment, the arts, exploitation. Uh, it's
2: like part of it is exploitation, right? Well,
4: exactly. Anything anything that tastes good exploiters are going to come along and they're going to say, oh, we're not exploiters. We're entrepreneurs. Entrepreneur, <laughs> is, entrepreneur is like the holy grail these days. Oh, yes, I want to be an entrepreneur. Well, let me tell you, entre means in between and preneur is a taker. So an mm-hmm. entrepreneur is somebody who, okay, you have something and I have something. An entrepreneur is the guy who gets between and takes from both of us. Getting in between our relationship um, in order he will say or she will say, to facilitate and make it better and that may be the case but it isn't always (laughs) so we have to remember that business is not what makes the world go round it's people but business at the moment I think is just totally out of control and in my studies of oriental philosophy I learned that in India for instance people would consider anytime any one group is running things you get trouble for instance if it's religion running things you get the (laughs) inquisition (laughs) But there's always business behind it. If it's the warrior class who are running things, oh, you got trouble. But there's always business behind it. See, There's always this stupid business pecking order entrepreneur thing Mm -hmm. with which people get away with all the skullduggery they do in their personal lives, in their business lives, in their national uh, and tribal lives. And it's all hoo ha, but we know that. And I've kind of known that from the time I was little. I didn't know what the world was about, but I know they told me that I couldn't be an Indian because there weren't any more. I was adopted. Um, and, the, oh, there may be some in Arizona, but no, you must be mistaken. And I was also told that I couldn't be a musician because I couldn't read music. No, people like me invented music. And then people like music teachers learned how to write it down so that musicians can play, right? Yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind is play. No, when I was a kid, that's what I did. I played. I was afraid of the other kids. I was the youngest one in my class. I was the smallest one in my class. I got bullied and there were pedophiles in the house and in the neighborhood. It was a combat zone from from the get-go. And I used to go to the piano just to have some fun and hide but I couldn't you know in school I was um, shunned in, uh, for You know, I couldn't pass a music class and I couldn't join band, I couldn't be in chorus.
2: Oh, god, nobody believed this part. No,
4: (laughs) well, of course, because I couldn't read music, I would get bad marks, and then because I got bad marks, they wouldn't let me play. And then I would go home and I'd play fake Tchaikovsky and fake Mozart on the piano, (laughs) and nobody would know it. So Mm -hmm. I've been the way I am for a very long time, and I learned very early that this world is. Sometimes just plain either blind or stupid, at least so far as I'm concerned. They say that I cannot be indigenous because they don't know any Indians. And they say that I can't be a musician because I can't read European notations. So I learned very early that sometimes the world is just full of it. Sometimes they're just plain mistaken where you're concerned or where your community is concerned or where your talents and style are concerned. So I guess I learned how to embrace the passion of solitude and what you can do in solitude to keep yourself amused. I think
2: that's why I like learning so much and why I'm a bibliophile. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, hey, I, read, you? I read Andrea Warner, uh, Warner's amazing book, by the way. That was a great piece, her biography about you. Oh, and- Andrea Warner, what a great writer, huh? Oh, she did such a great job. I got oh, it. I, it's such I, a good I, book. I hope yeah, more people buy yeah, she wrote, it.
4: She, she wrote my autobiography. And it was the second, I mean, she wrote my biography, excuse me. Right. <laughs> but it was the second
2: biography. one done about you.
4: It was, yeah. Blair Stonechild uh, knows my family. And he's, uh, he's uh, the head of Native Studies at First Nations University in Regina. And several years ago, he wrote a book about me called It's My Way. But Blair is not a music writer at all. He's a historian. So the two books are very, very different, Mm -hmm. and um, and neither one of them could have been written by the other writer. So Andrea's book is about show business, music, feminism, um, uh, activism, but Blair's book is about history. He knew my family. He knows Cree traditions. Mm -hmm. So he's looking at it from... the it's very, very interesting combination, but yeah, Andrea's book is really fun to read, isn't it? (laughs) It's really
2: great, I mean, you really get into, I mean, I really, as a writer, I mean, a reader got into just the narrative of your, I'm going to say process, for lack of a better word, but I love when you, she talks, or you talked about um, soaking, like, Edith, Edith Piaf, Carmen, mm-hmm. Anaya, Lottie, mm-hmm. Kimbrough, you soaked them up like a sponge, you said. Mm-hmm. Oh,
4: so yeah. Was
2: that when? like, at what point was, was that always your way of, of, you know, uh, learning and creating? Yeah. Or yeah. was there a moment where it was like, this is it? No, uh, uh-uh, no, that's just how I am
4: from the beginning. Mm -hmm. no when when I was about three my family got a piano and I met my favorite toy (laughs) we're we're still married (laughs) and I taught myself how to play and it was the most fun I had ever had and probably still is um and so I was a pencil and paper and crayons and kind of kid and I used list to Swan Lake on a record player and then I'd sit down and I'd try to play it and I could and I'd play it and play it until I could play it even better and so I learned totally by ear and if you're lucky enough to have seen the Elton John movie Rocket Man oh I just love the part where Elton just hears something on the radio and starts playing it because that is how it is for real musicians and I am so sick and tired of music teachers just because they make money music teachers really kind of own the musical life of most schools in the world because you can make money with it. But natural musicians, nobody you've ever heard of. I mean, people like me and, well, Elvis Presley couldn't read. Wes Montgomery and Chet Atkins couldn't read. uh, Michael Jackson couldn't read. Eric Clapton couldn't read. I mean, there are most of them. (laughs) Jimi Hendrix couldn't read. You know, most of us can't read. So I'll tell you a metaphor right now because it has to do with Sesame Street and breastfeeding. When Mm -hmm. I woke up in the hospital uh, from, you know, my baby being born, I looked over at the tables and there were two big baskets. I think one was from Nestle and one from, I don't know, Infamil or somebody from formula companies, you know, big, fancy uh, baskets with, you know, saran wrap and ribbon (laughs) Mm -hmm. from the formula companies. And my doctor didn't know anything about breastfeeding. And so where, where I'm tying this to um, natural music is that breastfeeding is natural and nobody makes any money off it. Therefore, it's not a business. Therefore, you don't learn about it because it's not making anybody any coins. It's not advancing anybody in the freaking pecking order. I mean, that's kind of my my take on uh, business and The music business. Uh, I'm not down on people who, who learn by reading. I think that's terrific because I think there's 360 degrees of ways to be a musician. Mm -hmm. But natural musicians have been trodden upon, have been stamped out. You don't even hear about it in, in school. So I'm kind of hoping, like, my big dream would be to have, I mean, the Grammys will never do it, but the Junos in Canada may do it. I'd like to see a two-minute video just with the names and photos of natural musicians who can't read music, just to celebrate them, Mm
2: just celebrate
4: them, because it's a a lot of people's favorite artists. And one time I was talking to my friend Chet Atkins, he was a real good friend of mine, and I said, you know, I can't read music. He said, you know what I told somebody when they asked me if I could read music? I said, not enough to hurt my playing. So, <laughs> so here we go in. It's about play. So even, indig- even the study of Indigenous everything, notice I don't say history. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> the, the, the study of Indigenous everything, for me, it's play. You don't have to twist my arm. <laughs> you have to hold me back, you know? Well, what are you what are you working on now? I'm working on um, the Creative Native Project in Canada, and I'm also providing a lot of Indigenous science curriculum, Indigenous geography and government curriculum mm-hmm. through various wide-reaching educational projects like the Legacy Schools for the Downey-Wenjack Foundation. Uh, so I'm doing a lot of
2: educational things. I know you've just done the... Pet adoption project. That's actually pretty yeah. new. And there's a book that it's goes with book. that, right?
4: It's a children's
2: book. It's an it's
4: a picture book, an illustrated kids book, and it has the song in sheet music at the end, and has a lot of <laughs> pictures of my pets. And no, it's a, yeah, it's called Hey Little Rockaby. Hey, hey, little rockaby. Hey, hey, little darling. Hey,
0: hey, little rockabye You got somebody loves you. Were you born on a cold winter day? Are you poor little orphan? Did somebody throw you away? Well, now oh, you, you got you somebody that loves you. Hey, hey, little rock pie. Hey, hey, little darling. Hey, hey, little rock You got somebody loves you. You do. little fur coat, and now you got somebody loves you. Now you got somebody loves you. So, (laughs) Uh
4: what I'm saying is that just like we started in the very beginning of this conversation, marginalization, poor health, police brutality, this is not new for for Indigenous people. Trying to protest and being confronted by, you know, just the military attitude, Mm -hmm. uh, even in our neighbors, this is not new. This is not new for us. And and for me, it puts me in a funny position when I'm watching the news. You know, so often, I mean, I don't don't want to be snarky and smarmy too much. Sometimes I'm just saying, well, yeah, this, this has been going on for ages in our neighborhood, and you guys are just finding out. But I think it's always like that. And I think that as Indigenous people, we always have to remember what a tiny minority we are. We are amazing, but there aren't many of us. So really, I think it pays to, you know, learn your stuff, know what you're talking about,
2: and learn how to enjoy it. Once the virus and everything kind of settles, hopefully that'll be soon, you'll be back on tour?
4: Oh gosh, yeah. We had to cancel. I I don't know how many concerts. I mean, show business just fell to its knees. You know, Mm -hmm. there's (laughs) there's nobody doing anything.
2: Well, Buffy St. Marie, it's been my honor and privilege to have you on the show, and I can only say continued health, love, and success because you're such an inspiration to millions and millions of us. I'm just one, but oh, you are truly you an, an inspiration. Me. Mahalo Nui for this this time with me today.
4: Oh, my pleasure, and please give my regards to Sen and carry it on.
2: <laughs> You've been listening to First Voices Radio. I'm Anna Kayla Kelly, sitting in for Sen Ghost Horse, who will be back live in the studio next week. At the top of the show, we heard Indigo Girl singing Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Then we had Janis Joplin singing Codine, Eva Cassidy singing Tall Trees in Georgia. Um, Up Where We Belong, which was co-written with Jack Nietzsche and Will Jennings and made famous by Jennifer Warrens and Joe Cocker in the soundtrack to An Officer and a Gentleman. And we had Elvis Presley, Willie Nelson, Neil Diamond, and Johnny Mathis singing Until It's Time for You to Go. Then we had Donovan and then Buffy St. Marie singing Universal Soldier. After that, we heard Now That the Buffalo's Gone, No No Keshegesh," It's My Way, Cripple Creek, and Hey Little Rockabye. Mahalo Nui Loa for allowing me to share this sacred time with you. Please stay safe and healthy and be what Hawaiians call maka'ala. Keep your eyes open. Don't miss the signs and choices and chances the universe is putting right in front of you. We close now with Buffy St. Marie singing Carry It On.
0: your head up, lift the top of your mind, put your eyes on the earth, lift your heart, Take heart and take care of your life.